Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another episode of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Our guest today is Dr. Rodney Hood, internal medicine specialist and the 101st president of the National Medical Association. We'll be speaking with Dr. Hood about the slave health deficit. I'm Jason James, executive producer, and I'm joined by our esteemed host, Dr. Michael Lenore, a physician, medical reporter, and a past president of the National Medical Association himself. Dr. Lenore, how are you today? I'm fine, sir. How are you, Jason? I'm doing very well, thank you. Catch us up on current events. What's happening in the world? A lot's going on in the coronavirus um, epidemic, pandemic, Jason, especially as it relates to schools. I'm constantly being asked by my parents whether they should send their children to school. And I tell them it's a parent's decision because so many things go into it other than just health. It's my feeling, though, that the, the nation's not ready to open its schools up in many areas of the country. You can make up schoolwork in some point or another in some ways, because, you know, everything you learn in school is not absolutely necessary. As a student, if I cut out the unnecessary stuff, I probably could cut out another whole year. But in being serious about it, I know that in-school learning is better. But what about the teachers? What about the administrators? What about the people who work around the school and their families? I'm very concerned that we're just not ready as a nation to open up our schools in most of the country, especially uh, in underserved areas. Uh, other things are happening on the uh, front as well. You know, the Russians released something that said they had a vaccine. Kind of nobody believes it's necessarily effective or safe. So that's an, another thing. California continues to lead the nation in cases over 600,000. And they even have some new cases uh, in Hawaii. So we're really not stopping the spread of this pandemic. Uh, economically, I think we're at a crossroads uh, in terms of trying to get people uh, support and help uh, through unemployment, and neither parties talking to one another, and consequently that hasn't been solved yet. And what, we, what are we're also seeing is that around the nation, violence uh, and mental illness, anxiety, depression is increasing because of the circumstances that people find themselves in. So. I think we're in the middle of a pandemic. It certainly doesn't sound like we're um, we're tapering down. So I think we'll be talking about it for many weeks to come. One of the controversies is always why uh, communities of color have more difficulty uh, with a disease like coronavirus infection. And I think that our guest today can help to explain that. So let's get right into our interview. Well, we all know that the coronavirus pandemic has had a disproportionate impact on African-Americans. All kinds of theories are, have been advanced, social determinants of health, lack of access, a variety of different things. Uh, I think what we come to as black doctors is the fact that black people come into the system with so much more pathology that anything like a pandemic is going to impact them. And we knew that from the beginning. So there's nobody better to talk about this than Dr. Rodney Hood. 
Dr. Rodney Hood was the 101st president of the National Medical Association, a university-educated pharmacist, uh, physician, and internist. Dr. Hood practices in San Diego. And he has some unique theories on how we as African Americans are were put in a position having such a pandemic have an impact on us. Dr. Hood, welcome to our program. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Lenore. It's my pleasure. You know, I've listened uh, over the last several months to explanations as to why the African-American community is more affected by the coronavirus. Everything from social determinants of health to the fact that we're the early morning bus first responders. What's your thinking on that? Well, I, I, I think when they uh, talk about that, it's kind of like given the, you know, a cold is a cough. A cough is a symptom. So uh, those are uh, symptoms of the real cause, and the real cause is this underlying racism that causes blacks to have increased more pathology. It's the underlying racism, structural and uh, psychological, that has caused the underlying uh, causes of increased hypertension, diabetes, et cetera. When we talk about social determinants of the health, it's the same thing. Our poverty didn't come about because of bad choices. Our poverty came about because of structural discrimination against black folks over the past 400 years. And so if we want to go to the core cause of why black folks have poor health and when a catastrophe hits, it's worse, we start in Katrina. And every, you know, you see what happens with uh, poor black folks there. Well, when a pandemic hits, we're set up to have the worst outcomes as well. You describe this as the slave health deficit. What do you mean? Well, I must say Dr. Bird and Dr. Clayton coined the term slave health deficit. They did a book documenting that poor health in African-Americans dates all the way back to when they first arrived here as slaves. When you look at the data and statistics of cardiovascular disease, infections, it goes all the way back several hundred years and has continued until today. That's when they mean slave health deficit. It isn't something that just happened. I think what uh, perpetuates it is that slavery was obvious. The type of mental stress that slavery caused was obvious. However, since the end of slavery, end of Jim Crow, we still have a mentality that does not put us in the uh, situation of feeling like full uh, citizenship, and that's very stressful, and it causes stress, leading to multiple diseases. So when I look at CNN or, or look at uh, MSNBC or whatever I choose to look at, they always talk about social determinants. They always talk about lack of access. They always talk they never talk about racism. What role do you think racism plays in the health of black people from slavery time to now? I think if we want to name the top five reasons, racism number one, racism number two, and racism number three, followed by social determinants of health and comorbidities. I think it's, it's, racism isn't just the entity. It infiltrates everything. It's like cancer. It has totally infiltrated the the whole uh, system of America, just like cancer infiltrates your whole body. You know, they think they, when the people talk about the racism, they say, well, what, what proof do you have that racism is causing uh, African-Americans to be physically sicker? Well, first of all, African-Americans are physically uh, sicker. Uh, and, and people have been uh, talking about why for uh, decades. And uh, I think now they're beginning to come up with tools that can actually measure what is uh, taking place in the body because of this uh, stress. That's where, where the term 
I've uh, liked to use called uh, post-traumatic slavery disorder, where through the uh, decades dealing with racism, I think W.E.B. Du Bois talked about the uh, black folks have uh, two souls uh, in America, one trying to be black and the other trying to be white. That's very stressful. You know, you've identified racism as a major fact. Can you share an experience, your experience, with how racism impacted your own health and your position as a physician? Yeah, well, I think uh, growing up in the city of Boston, where I grew up, in the black area of Roxbury, from a little kid up until I was a teenager, when I would venture outside of Roxbury into some of the white areas, I was commonly called nigger. And it, it happened so often, I thought my middle name was nigger. Uh, there were certain places that I have an issue dealing with the Boston Red Sox. I, I can't stand the Boston Red Sox to this day because the few times I went to Fenway Park to try and watch a ball game with my father, we were harassed by some ignorant white folks that kept calling us nigger. And then one time I went there alone and, and had to run home. So, yes, I experienced racism from the time I was a kid all the way up through uh, when I went to uh, medical school. And even today, it's very prevalent. Racism in the whole area of uh, medicine was when I was going to medical school. I often said, somebody asked me how was medical school. I said, well, medical school is difficult for everybody, but for a black person, it's the difference between being under a light microscope and an electron microscope. I think uh, halfway through medical school, I had all kinds of neurological twitches trying to deal with the uh, racist pit, pit holes that I was going through um, with the uh, condescension, when I got on the uh, wards, uh, there were patients didn't want to see me because I was black, actually told some of the attendings, I don't want to see that nigga doctor. And uh, it uh, continued. And finally, uh, when I became a uh, physician, I, I, I didn't hear that as much, only because most of my patients were black and Hispanic because I opened up in a black and Hispanic uh, community. Um, I'm sure my experiences growing up in Boston and my experience going to medical school with racism had a lot to do with that. I think the uh, stress of life is four plus. The stress of being uh, living and being black brings it up to eight, nine, ten plus. And I think it's, it's affected me like it's affect uh, like it affects a whole lot of folks. I've gone through periods of uh, depression. I've developed hypertension. I remember going on vacation, developed, and and uh, was taking my blood pressure medication, came home. My blood pressure was totally normal. Went to my office, extremely busy. Went home, started watching TV with all this Black Lives Matter and crazy Trump on the thing. I took my blood pressure after it was real normal, what I thought in a stressful situation, came home watching all the negative things happening to black folks, and my blood pressure was totally elevated. So I think we react to stress in America, in the subtle racisms in America, much differently than most uh, folks do. And we've been forced to kind of suppress it and not really uh, talk about it. So when I, would, I, would, I would maintain, Ronnie, that we've handled this pandemic better than our white counterparts because we've been through so many things that it kind of conditions us. No, absolutely. I think uh, going way back to the uh, um, uh, depression of the 30s, they found that uh, white folks 
started committing suicide at much higher rates. Black folks never started committing suicide. They were already under pressure, so that was one of their options. So I think you're right. I think we do deal with stress uh, better as far as surviving. However, physiologically, it catches up with us as we get older, causing hypertension and depression and all the other things. So I think outwardly we deal with it well because we were taught to to uh, survive. However, that doesn't mean it's healthy to make us thrive. I mean, one of the things we haven't discussed, Dr. Hood, is the whole issue of unconscious bias. You said you didn't like that term uh, because uh, it really is not a, it really is illicit. Is that what you said, illicit bias? Yeah. So, so yeah, unconscious uh, bias is that uh, prejudice that uh, folks will have towards uh, uh, blacks or uh, black patients. And just as uh, you may go to buy a house and uh, you get turned down or you go for a loan and get turned down because you're black, same thing happens in the uh, healthcare uh, system where you will go in to see a physician and they may have this bias and, and they're going to treat you differently than they would a, a white patient. Uh, that's what happens. The question is, how do you navigate that? Okay. Have you seen that in your own patients? Have you seen oh, that happen to your patients? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, give, us some, I, give us some examples. Well, I, I, I have uh, patients that, uh, you know, I, I've been in practice over uh, 40 years, and many of my patients uh, come to me asking me various uh, questions about, uh, what uh, medications they should be on, and and uh, I, I, uh, one of them had uh, coronary artery disease. This is this is years ago. I it, I'm not sure it happens as much as it did before, but they had coronary artery disease. And I said, well, uh, you said you saw a, a cardiologist. Did they do a cardiac cath? No, he told me I didn't need that. And I said, why? And he said, well, um, all I would need is this uh, medication. Well, after getting this chart and looking at he, um, uh, these are patients and, and I'm talking about several that should have had a cardiac, cardiac half done but uh, didn't. And I know that same uh, physician, uh, I was doing cardiac half on other patients. So it happens. Uh, you know, and I've also seen this many, many times. I've actually had to call doctors and ask what were they doing with the patients I referred to them. I said, this is not the standard of care. How in the world could you think that this is uh, this is uh, the right thing to do? I also attended a, co- a conference that had that for, for some reason a group of very esteemed doctors in this area, maybe 150, brought in uh, knowledgeable African American women to talk about this. They, Rodney, they were so insulted you couldn't believe it. They said mm-hmm. it's not me, not me, and I'm looking right at five or six of them who I knew tried to treat my patients differently, uh, and I had to call them on it. So it really is something um, that exists, and I think African Americans must be aware that when they go into these healthcare systems, they may not get the same treatment. So they have to understand what they have, what they need. They may need to have an advocate or whatever, but it does exist. Well, one of the things we like to do is get some kind of call to action. You know, you laid out well right before that. Explain to me again what is the post-traumatic slave Post-traumatic slave thing is the relationship between the uh, 
uh, health outcomes and diseases that black folks have today and how it's related to slavery. And it's because of the structural racism that's been created. And uh, from birth to adulthood, blacks are chronically dealing with this racist system. And it's now being shown that this chronic stresses in their bodies that's adding to their uh, blood pressure. So the multiple things that cause it, but it's this chronic stress, and I refer to that as post-traumatic slavery disorder. All right, now you pointed out, you know, a, a set of phenomena in this country that makes it very difficult for African Americans not only to get access and, and the social determinants, but to overcome uh, a conscious uh, system of racism that impacts their health. What do you suggest to those of us who are in the system? Uh, as either professionals to protect themselves against the impact of racism on them individually and the impact of institutional racism on their health. So African-Americans must get knowledgeable themselves about not only their own personal diseases, but when they go into a system and they get assigned a physician, they should research that uh, physician, okay? They should, I think there are three things that a uh, patient when you choose a doctor should know. Uh, I, I call it the uh, patient triple aim. One, is this doctor qualified? Did, you know, does he have the right uh, credentials? The other is, can I trust him? If I, sh I'm going to share with him some personal things, can I trust him? And the other is, does he care about me? So when you uh, uh, go to a, a physician, those are the things you should be evaluating because a physician doesn't care about you. He's not going to do you right. The other is you should ask uh, for uh, references. You should ask um, other uh, physicians. If you have access to other uh, physicians, you should ask, what do you think about Dr. So-and-so? Don't be afraid to ask for a, a second opinion. Uh, I, I, I advocate, I, I get patients from Kaiser who pay me because they want to get a second opinion about whatever they were told by uh, a physician at Kaiser and many times they're white. So they'll come to me and pay for that second opinion. Um, so I, I, I think you have to be a good advocate for yourself. Dr. thank you so much for um, being uh, our guest here today. I think you pointed out some things that I think many people are not thinking about how long we've been on this journey to get uh, quality health care uh, and how we still have to fight and struggle uh, to get the kinds of, uh, to have the kind of outcomes that the rest of America has. Well, I, I, to be honest with you, uh, I think, first of all, what African-Americans have to do is kind of learn their own history, number one, uh, and, and, and especially if you're navigating the health care system, you're going to need uh, uh, advocates. Uh, if you have family members that are very in tune to the health system or um, uh, 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 that are nurses and that type of thing, you need to tap into them and ask their advice as you're navigating the uh, systems. If you already have a uh, physician that you uh, trust, as you go through the system into other systems, you need to ask uh, their advice because sometimes you don't know that something negative is happening to you until after it happens. So I think you have to be much more aware navigating the uh, system than most folks. Dr. Rodney, thank you so much for taking the time. You're 
uh, insight into the whole process, I think, will be very revealing for a lot of African Americans. who don't understand, really, that they better be organized uh, and to deal with the health care system and that the things that we're suffering right now are things that started three to 400 years ago. And institutionally, our things are barriers against us, and then we need to always be aware and to try to tear those barriers down. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Lenore. I think it was a very good discussion, Jason, uh, and an explanation from a historical perspective as to why African Americans suffer more from chronic disease than other populations. The conversation was very enlightening. I actually had never heard of displaced health deficit before. And so can you actually explain that a little more for our listeners? Yes. Well, what that suggests is that for generations and actually for centuries, African-Americans' health has been neglected. Not only uh, have we not had uh, proper ma management of severe disease, we never had any programs of early detection of disease prevention. And each generation, it builds on itself so that we get further and further behind because we have just not had um, adequate treatment. Also, there's a, a cultural link between, you know, what we have had as healthcare as slaves and what we think about health now. We're less likely to go to get um, care when we have significant symptoms. We're less likely to believe in some of the things that we can do from a preventive standpoint, some of the vaccinations. Uh, and we're very suspicious and justifiably paranoid about a system that has treated us so poorly for so very long. That leads probably to much more chronic disease in our communities uh, than it, there should be. Uh, and then I think that's where the slave health deficit um, becomes a problem. And so if that suspicion exists in us, and I, I completely agree with you, that, that suspicion is very much alive as well. How do we then fix a problem that is, over 400 years in the making? How do we heal the slave health deficit? Well, I think, you know, there are two ways to look at it. What the, this country has tried to do is to take care of African Americans from the top down. That means that uh, they feel that when you put together these programs on hypertension and diabetes and nutrition, that it will filter down to the African American community. When all the studies I've seen about successful programs to deal with chronic disease, like hypertension, like diabetes, like weight control, really start from the bottom up. Starts from the community and instilling in the community a motivation to be better about these things. And you showed all kinds of programs on hypertension, especially uh, it's been studied the most, where if you start with the African-American community and let them organize and plan a strategy that works for that community, you get much better outcomes. And I'm hopeful that now, that's been demonstrated in a number of different chronic diseases that this country, in addition to focusing on Black Lives Matter, realized that black health matters just as much uh, and gives us the resources we need to heal our own communities. I think that's very well said. Um, mindset there actually is something that reminds me of a story we had submitted to us this week via social media, as always, we tell our followers that they can directly engage with us on social media. We are at Black Doctors Speak on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. But we received this message in our direct messages this week on Instagram, and it very much is dealing with what you're saying, this kind of paralyzing mindset. Uh, this is from a woman. I'll, I'll keep her name out of it, but she said, 
My grandson has been in the hospital for six months and his condition continues to get worse. He has a congenital heart defect and I'm feeling helpless and hopeless in trying to figure out the best approach to getting him the care he needs and deserves. We'd like to have a second opinion and possibly transfer him, but we don't know how to go about this since he is already currently in the hospital. He's only 14 months and I'm desperately trying to sort this through before it's too late. Can you please provide any advice? What do you say to that, well, Dr. Lenore? Well, I think the very first thing that we would have to do as a family is to sit down with the doctors that he said. Whenever children have those kinds of cardiac defects, if the hospital didn't have a reputation or the staff and resources to deal with that problem, they would have transferred him already. So he must be in what we call a tertiary care hospital where he, he can get some of the best specialists in your community. I think that once you talk to the, the surgeons about why he's still in the hospital and what the dangers would be in terms of transfer or what the options would be at some other hospital, then you can make a better decision. I think too often we don't get the explanations that we need for these kinds of problems. But if he's in a hospital with a complicated cardiac problem, either a malformation or extra vessels, then if that hospital is keeping him there, they probably have a reputation for being able to handle that problem. So you need to talk to the doctors, get an explanation of what they're doing and why, ask what other options would be available in other hospitals. And if that's the case, then uh, you have a problem in trying to get him transferred, but at least understand what their capabilities are, why he's there, and what they're doing, because it may be that no matter where he went, he would still be in the same place. That makes complete sense. It's the old adage of you don't know what you don't know, and we need to advocate and fight for ourselves. And, of course, um, we wish him well, and we hope that things turn, turn out well for them. Um, we'll be sharing this feedback with them directly as well um, and let them know that we are there for them. I want to wrap the show on this, uh, Dr. Lenore, because this week was rather monumentous for our people. I'm sure it's safe to say that you never thought you would see the first black president in your lifetime. And now we are potentially going to see the first black female vice president. No, I, think, I think we're very proud. Kamala Harris is well known to all of us in this area because she comes from Northern California. She's extremely competent. And I think that she will be a, a significant asset uh, to a campaign which needs a little shot in the arm. Let's face it. Uh, Biden's not the most exciting person, but he has some of the most exciting programs. And hopefully he will utilize her in a way that will allow him to take advantage of all the skill sets that she has. Well, there's no debating that. And hopefully this feeds into what you spoke about earlier about this top-down approach, maybe having somebody else who looks like us in one of the highest offices in the land will have that type of uh, trickle-down effect that we need on our people. Her policies are very progressive, and she's kind of been at the forefront of all this over the last few years. So, so of course, we wish them well. Yeah, and I think we could talk about Kamala Harris for a very long time, but we've run out of time for today's program. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Rodney Hood for joining us and giving us the perspective that we, I didn't have or that maybe you didn't have on how we got to where we are health-wise as a people. But most of all, I'd like to thank those of you who listen to our podcast and hope you will listen every week. Remember, health is your biggest asset, so protect it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lenore. Of 
course, we appreciate the time that you had here. And thank you so much to our listeners. Remember, Black Doctor Speak is a weekly podcast. We are sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, the Markel Lenore Endowment, and the Dan Weinstein Family Fund. Continue the conversation with us on social media at Black Doctor Speak on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. And if you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.